Well, thanks for joining us. Those of you that are online with us, thank you. We wish you were, were here, but we also understand that these are just different times. And so thank you for joining us as we uh, beta test kind of these first couple weeks a few things. Um, and we're just excited to know that uh, God has allowed us the technology to still be able to be the body together. We are in this room. We're online. Um, we're in our community. And so that's exciting. You know, there's a passage of scripture in John 13 that just as we've been kind of going through a lot of stuff, there's just been, um, this has kind of been one that's been on my mind and heart a bit. It's uh, John 13, 34 and 35, and it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, and this is what I love about it, is all people will know that you are my disciples. If... You love one another. So to me, as, as we go through these things, I think that's an appropriate response for all of us. You know, masks, no masks, you know. Um, our response to racism and, and maybe unrest in our country. Um, or even um, how do we fix some of our problems that we've had here at Lakewood over the years? You know, what do we do about that? So when we're willing to release our so-called rights, we could say, and serve and love one another... I think truly God will use us. Well, this week we're going to continue our study that Pastor Steve started a few weeks ago on Joseph, um, an odyssey into forgiveness. Um, I think it's appropriately phrased. You know, we're going to get a glimpse here of how God allowed things to happen in Joseph's life so that at the end we literally see how God uses him to save a nation and save his own family and even God's chosen people. But however, in the midst of this, Joseph learns to, he tr learns to trust God even in some of the most unfair and unjust situations. If, if there's a guy in the Bible that's truly a victim, in all senses of the word, it's Joseph. I re recently read an article about eagles, and, and then I had to find another source because I'm going, I'm not finding this too often, but then I found another one, and I thought, okay, I can share it. But it was a story about eagles, and when a mama eagle was building her first nest, she gets a lot of sharp sticks and even um, different pieces of things that you look at and you go, whoa, man, that's not going to be all that comfortable. And so she gets rocks, she gets all kinds of things, builds this really sturdy nest way up high, and then after that, she begins to get the fur of other animals that have been her prey, and then softens it. Then she has her eaglets, usually two of them, but sometimes three. And so then they begin to grow. And as they grow, mom's feeding them. And then they get out on the branches and kind of get their balance. And, but it's pretty comfortable in the nest. And so then what happens in the nest is mom decides, you know what, it's time to go. I don't think she's saying, I'm sick of you, but it's like, grow up. It's time to move on. And so then she starts stirring up the nest. And so she starts picking away the fur and the soft stuff. And before you know it, those eagles aren't as comfortable as they used to be and begin to go, well, man, I think I can find a better place than this. And then they begin their, their chance to really be who they were meant to be, to go and fly above things and get out of the nest. You know, also, if you were to look at, you know, butterflies and like the emperor moth, um, they have these, these cocoons, and, and um, if you were to cut the end of the cocoon when you saw them coming out, what happens is that moth or that butterfly can never be all it's meant to be. It needed to be in that struggle 
of coming out so that all the fluids, all the different things in, the, in their body moves to different locations. If you were to cut off the end, neither of them will be able to fly. They can't be all they were meant to be. They needed to go through the struggle. Beth Lander stated, she goes, sometimes the struggle is exactly what we need. And we're like, ah, don't say that. Because we all know it's true, but yet we don't want to go through the struggle. I don't think anybody's going, oh, please, I want to struggle right now. I mean, we don't go there. But when we're in it, how do we um, operate in it? Tim Hansel, he talks about struggles as he, uh, he wrote, and he says, most of the Psalms were born in difficulty. Most of the epistles were born in prisons, or written from prisons. Most of the greatest thoughts of the greatest thinkers of all time had to pass through the fire. Bunyan, by, um, Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress from jail. Florence Nightingale, too ill to move from her bed, reorganized the hospitals in England. Semi-paralyzed and under the constant um, menace of apoplexy, Pasteur was tirelessly in his attack on disease. See, many of us, can, I think, can understand this feeling. We've all faced unfair and unjust and undeserved treatment at some time. So I know sometimes we ask this question, because I ask this question, why, God? I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to do my best to live as your disciple and, and to love as you've loved but you, and then we could just enter whatever the struggle is here, why have you allowed this in my life? Or maybe if we're really honest and we take it a little more personally, we go, why me? There are so many other people that deserve to be punished or, or have difficult things in their lives. And I'll be honest, I struggle with that. Why did you heal my mom from cancer and then have it to return only three years later and take her life? See, as I look back in even my own life, I, I, I have sometimes felt like God has forgotten me, even though I'm doing my best to serve him. Can you guys relate? But we're not in this alone. We're not alone. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, the struggle, the intense struggle, that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening. This is a common occurrence, it's what he's saying. But rejoice. <laughs> really? I have to? Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Wow. We'll be tested. But he says we're to rejoice in that testing. Why? Because it's the way for us to identify, really, ultimately, in Jesus' own suffering. Or probably the one that everybody's a little bit more familiar with. If you've read the book of James, it's a pretty applicable book. And he says in first, or James 1, 2, and 3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. We know it's true, <laughs> but we really don't want the struggle. See, God is allowing, I think, these things in our life, just like he did for King David, for Job, for the Apostle Paul, John the Baptist, and who we read about today, Joseph. Many of them asked the same questions to God that we do today. Mark Barnard, in his book, Joseph Unrobed, says this, Joseph's story teaches us that while we may be at our wit's end, our story need not be. 
If you feel confined by circumstances that lock you into seemingly nightmarish situation, there's more to your story. You may not be able to imagine it right now, but a divine presence watches over you just as it watched over Joseph. And I love these last words, can you dare to believe it? (laughs) As many of you know, I I love the game of football. Um, I've played it, I've watched it, I coached it. And I think of the days when I was coaching my boys and and they were young and and they played on teams that, well, they weren't very good compared to the opponents they played. We'll put it that way. However, their team stayed together year after year after year and the other teams didn't. Many lessons, I would say, were learned in those years. They they learned to lose. Uh, They learned to be good positive teammates and good friends. They worked hard and etc. They lost a lot of games, but it was interesting, each year they would begin to win one or more games than they did the year before. When we moved to Brainerd, my boys continued to play football, and I didn't coach them, but they found themselves to be on two of the best teams in Brainerd football's history. My oldest reminded me the other day that his was the best team in Brainerd history. (laughs) And he's right. They both went to state. I believe if it wasn't for their earlier struggles, they would not have worked as hard as they did to be the players that they were. They learned to appreciate the journey and the struggle that went with it. But it was because they were looking toward the future, saying, this is our goal ahead. Last year, my younger son, Mike, uh, played at CLC, and I coached as well, and Against all odds, and I tell you, crazy struggles from all directions for this team. Never been a part of anything this crazy in football in all my years. In the first four weeks of the season, I felt like we're not going to win another game the rest of the season. Nothing was going right, but something happened in that struggle. The team began to believe that they were better together and began to truly trust one another and even the coaches. Long and short of it, we barely made it into the playoffs. I mean, literally, we were listening to the last play of two teams that were playing, and if one team scored a touchdown on their last play of the game from the 20-yard tw- line, we would not go to the playoffs. However, we made the playoffs. We ran the table, and we routed all three teams and won the state championship. I tell you that story because the struggle was real. It was intense. I didn't want to go through it. The players didn't want to go through it. But we came together. See, God has not forsaken us or forgotten us. He's with us. He's using this to draw us, I think, to himself, to become really fully dependent on him. So now, with that, let's review where Steve was a couple weeks ago. Genesis 37, we've learned a few things. So just to bring you up to speed a little bit about who Joseph is. He was the favorite, literally favorite son of his father Jacob. And Jacob didn't hide that from the other sons. He had many brothers and and I would say, to classify it nicely, they were a dysfunctional family. Joseph was 17 when we pick up the story. Um, God spoke to Joseph through dreams. Joseph shared his two dreams with his brothers, and they understood it to be, hey, you're going to rule over me or us? So, of course, they hated him even more, Scripture says. Joseph then sold into slavery, if it couldn't get, uh, you know, any worse, by his brothers and purchased by Potiphar, a high-ranking official 
that had oversight of Pharaoh's prison. Well, then Pastor Brent brought us up to speed on this whole thing of why he was going to end up in prison, and we see that he shared about Joseph's integrity and the blessings that Potiphar, who was now his owner, received because of Joseph and his work. It says in Genesis 39.5, and we see this again in the passage we'll look at today, from the time he put Joseph in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. See, I believe Joseph would have recognized at this moment that the blessing that he is seeing in his care is from God. However, when all things are going well, the, the switch is flipped. After Joseph resists the advances, does the right thing of, of Potiphar's wife, he is strongly accused, or wrongly accused, of attempted rape. It's not recorded if Joseph even tries to defend himself in this, but what is rather interesting is he is placed in Pharaoh's prison, the one in which Potiphar is in charge of. What also is a bit unusual, I thought, is that Joseph's life is spared by Potiphar. See, for a slave to be accused of this type of crime would certainly mean a death sentence, most likely immediately, especially from the hand of somebody like Potiphar. So in my opinion, and again, this is my opinion, it seems plausible that Potiphar knew that his wife may have not been as honest with him as she should have been. But he had to save face and place Joseph in that prison and I think because he, he was the one that oversaw it, at least some theories say. And he knew it would be blessed. Which he probably meant, eh, I've got less work. It also is another way that we see that God is placing Joseph in just the right place. His will is operating, ultimately allowing him to be the one to help save the nation of the Egyptians. To save, ultimately, his own family and the future of the Israelites, God's chosen people. So a few things that we've reviewed each week was this, what are the important things we want to remember about Joseph? One, God is the hero of the story. Okay, this is important. God is the hero. He's the one working out the plans and the timing. Second, Joseph is noble. He is a young man full of integrity and forgiveness. We want to remember that. Joseph makes right decisions. Joseph trusts God, though, and obeys him even in the worst of circumstances. And thirdly, God has a plan for our lives. God is working, but God's asking us to trust him to carry out his redemptive work through us. So let's pick up the story, and I'm just going to read. This is where Pastor Brent left off in Genesis 39, um, and then we'll get into chapter 40. But we want to review why he ended up in prison. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, here's these words, the Lord was with him, he showed him kindness, and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Very familiar, same identical things that are stated with Potiphar. Sometime later, you're going to hear this a couple times today, sometime later, we don't know how long, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. 
Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended to them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were held in the prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a, a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they said, but there's no one here to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dream. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it had budded, it blossomed, and clusters of grapes ripened. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them in the Pharaoh's cup, and put them, the cup back in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will, you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me. And show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in this dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will... Lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat your flesh. We'll get into that a little later, but now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast. For all his officials, he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and of the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again could put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. The next chapter, chapter 41, begins with these words. After two whole years, Joseph is just sitting there. He's forgotten. So let's go back and just look at a few significant things that I think we can learn from this. Right away we see the phrase uh, that was used when Joseph served Potiphar, and we see it again soon after he's placed in prison. The Lord was with him. We need to remember that truth. The Lord was with him. See, God is the hero. He's the one that is using Joseph to do, to will, and to work, and to fill, fulfill his plan. We see that basically in short order, Joseph, just like when he was in Potiphar's household, Joseph is given great responsibility. And just in, just in Potiphar's case, the warden essentially turns over the keys to the prison to Joseph. I suspect, you know, sometimes I have these weird thoughts. This is one of them. I go, I bet just 
Joseph probably could have just escaped whenever he wanted to. But he didn't. He chose to stay. And we see these phrases again come up. It says, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. See, we see that Joseph in the mix of this is doing what he's supposed to do. And he is being blessed by God and being used by God. He's not being thwarted by his own bitterness or anger. We open up with chapter 40 that says sometime later. We, we don't know if this meant weeks, months, years. It could have been any of them. We just need to understand that Joseph had been in prison serving a term that he had unjustly been put there for. We read sometime later again in that passage that says, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of the Egypt offended their master. So just to give some context, the, the cupbearer, um, you could probably be described or translated, I've seen it described as like the butler, okay? Takes care of all those needs, and, but his role was basically the, the taste tester, making sure the quality was good, but he also would protect the pharaoh basically from poisoning, so he would taste it ahead of time. This was a very trusted position, one of the highest positions. The baker was someone that, in a sense, would oversee the kitchens, and, uh, and he served in that capacity as well. And he also would have been a very faithful, trusted attendant of the Pharaoh. Some have speculated that the captain of the guard, though, that was mentioned, was none other than Potiphar himself. The thinking is he specifically assigned Joseph, not the warden, to them. While these men were in Joseph's care for some time, However, something changes, and Joseph notices in verse 6, he's watched them, he's cared for them, but he saw that they were dejected. See, I, I'm impressed that even in this despair, um, in this situation, a dungeon, here is Joseph noticing the needs of others. And he notices this despair. They share that they had dreams, but they had no way of knowing what they meant. Well, I have dreams every night, and I have no idea what they mean. Probably nothing, but, but in this case, there was something different. They knew this was not your normal dream. Well, what's Joseph's response? He knows he's not the one that's capable of the interpretation. But he knows that God can. In the last part of verse 8, he says, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. That's confidence. How would Joseph, with any confidence, know he would be able to hear from God and give a proper response? Well, we see that he had a unique connection with God. So the dungeon, all these things that happened, had not affected his relationship in the sense of a negative piece. Joseph was a dreamer in the beginning. Now he's God's dream interpreter. Joseph interprets the dreams and gives a good interpretation to the cupbearer. We even see Joseph's humility show a bit more where he's, he asks the cupper, remember, remember me. I, I've been imprisoned undeservingly. I shouldn't be here. Can you, you know, you're, you're high up. Can you tell somebody? Then the baker, who seems excited to see what his interpretation is because of the good one given to the cupper, of course, he's like, hey, that was a really good one. wonder what mine is. Well, the baker's interpretation was not so good, to put it nicely. It would be safe to assume that Joseph was kind, I think, in the way that he shared this with them. What a great, what great and horrible news all at the same time. 
even worse, the excited anticipation for the cupbearer and the restoration to his former position and the misery of the baker hoping what Joseph had just shared wouldn't come true in three days. We pick up in verse 20, it says, Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in the interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Next chapter then begins after two whole years. See, again, we see that Joseph serves faithfully, not only Potiphar, but the warden, and once again, he, he seems to be cast aside, forgotten in a dungeon. It would have been easy, I think, for Joseph to really question God, and maybe he did. It's not recorded. But I think... I was reading a, a book that uh, is Joseph, A Man of Integrity and Forgiveness by Pastor Chuck Swindoll. And, and this was a quote that he said, and I just really have appreciated it. It says, The Lord God remained first in Joseph's life. He was the focus of his life. The lens of God's will stood between Joseph and his circumstances, enabling Joseph to see God in them and enabling God to use him in them. I mean, think of that. The lens of God's will stood between Joseph and his circumstances. Well, here's a few things that we can learn from this passage, I think. At least a few things that I was able to kind of learn for myself. When we're facing tough times, one, we need to lean in even harder and trust God. Proverbs 3, 4, and 5, or uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. See, when we trust God, we're, we're not saying that everything's going to go our way or the way we think it's going to. But we're saying that we trust God and his plan. It's so important for us to, to lean in, or I suppose another way of saying it is to embrace the struggle. And begin to look at it as a punishment, or not look at it as a punishment, but as a sort of refining and, and strengthening that takes place in our life. Just like a clay pot in the sun stays a clay pot, but when it is put in the fire, it is transformed into something stronger and even more beautiful. Two, we need to remember that God's steadfast love endures forever. And I'm going to read all of Psalm 117, all two verses. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So we need to remember that God's steadfast love endures forever. If you were to read through the Psalms, you would read it over and over about the faithful, steadfast love of God. And even in Romans 5, 8, in the New Testament, we are told that God acted first with his love and continues to act and show his love when he says, but God demonstrates, not demonstrated, his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ moved. Christ died for us. Next, we need to understand that his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. 
Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, okay, think about that. God is good, right? Just like himself. Pleasing, and it, you know what? His will is pleasing, but we, it might not please us a lot. And it's perfect, without defect or contamination, just like God. When we believe this to be true, it allows us to trust him no matter the dark places we will find ourselves. Fourth, we need to submit ourselves to God's will. As God describes himself in Isaiah 55, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. See, when we submit or humble ourselves, this allows the Holy Spirit the opening he needs to begin his work of transforming and working through us. It's hard to understand God's plans, but he has them. First Peter tells us that he will lift us up in due time. That should be an encouragement. But it doesn't mean it might be immediately. But it does mean he is going to complete his work in us. And finally, we need to choose obedience. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Okay? Well, I know when I was a child, I was forced to do many things by my brothers and uh, my parents and uh, many of them I didn't want to do but I knew there would be some kind of discipline or pain from my brothers that would come forth if I didn't do them and so I didn't really choose obedience I just choose to not get spanked or you know disciplined in some way that's not what we're talking about choosing obedience here Choosing to obey is really much different than that it means no matter the situation we find ourselves unjust undeserved, unfair, we will still choose to accept God's will and do it, do what he's asked us, and do it gladly and with joy. Always remember that Jesus went through the same things that we are. And nothing, we won't go through anything nearly what he went through. But see, Jesus showed us the way. We need to live more like him each and every day. There's many ways that we can really apply the story of Joseph in this passage. But I think it's critical that we, we trust God's plan, even though we can't see it all right now. He's at work in the COVID-19 pandemic. The unrest or over racial injustice and even the diagnosis of our beloved pastor. Right now or, or, or ever, we may never understand how God is working. But we need to trust him. So let's take the example of Joseph and let's be people that despite our circumstances that desires to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, that we're willing to go through the struggle, that we will meet the, the needs of people, friend or foe, all in the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story of Joseph, that we are reminded that in the, the dark places of life, 
that we can find ourselves, the struggle that we don't think we're ever going to get out of. The pain is too deep. But yet we see that, Lord, when we lift our heads and, and look to you, we can trust that you have a plan that is good, that is pleasing and perfect. And you will be at work. Lord, I pray that as we consider these things that we will lean into our difficult situations and, and know that in the struggle, we're going to learn. We're going to fully depend on you. And oftentimes when we look back, we're going to discover what you were doing. And I thank you for that. Lord, thank you for this time that we were able to meet and gather, not only digitally, but also here in person. We thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your faithfulness. We pray all this in your name. Amen.